Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. People of the way knew Jesus, were known by Jesus, and were known because of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. It's up on the screen. I hope you have it on your tablet or maybe an old-fashioned paper Bible where you can make notes and highlight things. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to the church at Rome. And, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And, and essentially, this is what I've asked you to do. As you pray about it, Lord, I'm testing this. God, what do you want me to give toward your church? How do you want me to increase my giving? Is it good? Is it perfect? Is it your will? That's what we're praying about. We want to do what God wants us to do. We go on to verse number 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent. I will add the word, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, as that's really the only, way, only thing you can control, can control is you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by, do, by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. People of the way. So as I said the last time I was here, there's probably no better passage of Scripture that, that describes the people of the way. Uh, and and if, you're, if you're new to our church, you're just coming in on this series, people of the way are people of Jesus. Who, who know Jesus, are known by Jesus, and, and we're on the third part of that, or who are known because of Jesus. Because of the impact that Jesus has had and is having on our lives. You know, once you're saved, you're always saved. Jesus saves you and holds you and keeps you, and he will never, ever let you go. But your life, your life should progress from there, right? And so this is what we're talking about. People of the way, it all begins with the beginning. You can't become a person of the way by just being a good person. 
You don't become a person of the way by, by giving money to the lighthouse. You don't become a person of the way by attending church faithfully. You don't become a person of the way by giving to the poor and, and helping the needy and generally being a good moral guy. Now, there's a lot of churches that teach that. They teach that you can gain an entrance into heaven by being good enough, doing enough good, and giving enough money. And I'm here to tell you that that is false it's not biblical doctrine, it's false doctrine. To become a person of the way, you must know Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. And this is why I put a cross up. Jesus on the cross, when He died on the cross, He died for all of those sins that you have committed in the past. He died for the sins that you're going to commit in the future, and I know there's somebody sitting right here right now. He died for the sin that you're committing right now where you're sitting. He's saying, what are you talking about? We're just sitting here looking at you. Well, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus began to preach the Sermon on the Mount, he, uh, he kind of extrapolated on the law. And he said, if you think it, you've done it. So some of y'all are sitting here and you're bitter and you're angry. And you might even be spiteful or hateful. And that, my friend, is sin. But the good news is Jesus died for your sin. What does that even mean? It means that he paid the penalty that you and I deserve. He paid the legal penalty, that, that penalty that would keep us from entering into heaven and being with our heavenly Father. He paid that penalty, and then he rose from the grave to give us new life so that when we pray and when we talk to Jesus, we know this, he's listening See, Jesus is not still in the grave somewhere. We're not worshiping a dead prophet who can't hear our prayers. We're not worshiping some dead saint. We are worshiping the risen Savior who lives today, and we can talk with him. And there's, there's a song that's uh, it's called In the Garden, and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. Man, you need that kind of experience. I kind of wanted to get up last week and shout when, when Christy was talking about how, by the way, she'd been through a lot of counseling, and she believes in counseling. She believes in therapy, and it helped her get out of some really dark places, but the darkness was still within her until she met the light, Jesus Christ. And, and then as she was describing her, 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 her walk with Jesus and how he came and pierced the darkness, man, I don't know about you. How could you not shout at that? How could you not say amen at that? How could you not say, I want that? Well, it all begins with the beginning. The first step is to come to Jesus and ask him to be your savior, to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you from unrighteousness and to give you a home in heaven. Once you've done that, you are now walking on the way and we have the measure, the measure of our walk. That's the cool thing about God. You know, there's a, pa a passage that we use. It's really the, the theme verse of Emmanuel and it's in 1 John chapter 4. And, and it talks about how that, that as we are like him, the world is able to see him in us. And, and as we love like Jesus and, and, and walk like Jesus and, and help like Jesus and think like Jesus, we can have boldness in the day of judgment. God doesn't want you wondering. I used to hear, listen, I used to hear sermons and, and there, there is some truth to this that one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that's used as a, as a billy club 
uh, to beat people to submission into submission, like you better be careful because you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you don't really know what's going to happen. Well, that's not really true. You can know whether you've gotten a good grade or not because God has given us the answers to the test. You can know. You can have boldness. You can say, you know what? I'm not afraid to die and I'm not afraid to meet Jesus because I have been walking in the way as a person of the way. God has given us the measure, and the measure is the passages of Scripture that we have been reading. The measure in particular today is Romans chapter 12. And I hope that you'll go back and read this. And what the measure does for us, it's not just something that, oh, i got to measure up and do this. It's more like this. Um, what is that? It's a dashboard. And, and what's on the dashboard? Why do you have one, do you think? Reflect reality. Thank you. Reflect. Who else? What else was there? So you can go fast? Oh, so you can know how fast you're going? Who said monitor? Monitor yourself? Like, I like to put tape over my dashboard. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I remember um, when Trish, Trish and I used to drive her dad's Dodge Dart. It was a straight six indestructible, except for one thing, burned oil. So you had, to put a, you had to put a quart of oil in that thing like maybe once a week. And if you're a 17-year-old girl, you're probably not thinking about that no matter how many times your dad yells at you, did you put oil in the car? And I'm not going to say that, uh, that she sees that engine or that the engine light came on and it was flashing, warning, warning. I'm not going to say that happened. But that's what a dashboard's for, right? It gives, us a, it gives us a warning. It can let us know how fast we're going. can let us know as we look at the other signs around us that we might need to slow down curves coming ahead, right? Uh, it tells us if the oil is getting low. It tells us if the temperature is getting too hot or too cold. It tells us if we have a full tank. I remember I was driving back from the beach. I think it was Chloe and Sadie and uh, Nate and Trish, and I had gas in my car. I know I did because I believed it. <laughs> you know, when, when your wife says, uh, you think we need to get gas? And you say, I know my we don't need gas. Even though the gauge is reading empty, what, what happens then? I can tell you what happened. We broke down between exits uh, 6 and 5 on 101, and there's not a whole lot between 6 and 5, so I just started walking until somebody picked me up. So I'll throw Trish under the bus. I have to you know, be fair and throw myself under the bus, and I don't know that I've really lived that down yet. So the dashboard... Think of Romans 12 as a dashboard. We discern the will and the way of the Lord. We discern what's good and acceptable, and we measure our growth, and we can know when we're on track, and we can know when we're getting off track. And when we're getting off track, when that temperature gauge is going haywire, and that gas gauge is dropping low, right? when, when we're speeding when we shouldn't be speeding, right? We, we know this. This is what it's telling us to do. It's telling us to pull over and spend some time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more transformative your life becomes. And the more transformed your life becomes. It's not about trying harder. 
It's not about taking a baseball bat and beating it to death because you're not blessing those that curse you. It's about learning to spend the appropriate amount of time with Jesus. It's about allowing him to minister to your heart that he loves you in a way that you can actually hear it. Now, I know that you all have been coming to church for a while. I recognize most of you, and, and you probably heard those words, God loves you. And you may have trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you know God loves you because of that cross. You know he loves you, but you're still struggling to experience it. And that means you need to sit with Jesus. You need to sit at the feet of the Master and listen to him ministering to your heart and to your soul. So many times we run and 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 we try and we try and we try and we try and we fail and we fall and we fail and we fall because we're not running with Jesus. So I want to challenge you when you see your gauges going haywire, don't just try harder. You know when my my <laughs> when I'm driving down 101 and I'm looking at that gas gauge and it's going down, it didn't matter how hard I pressed on the pedal as it was going, <clears throat> it didn't matter what I feather the pedal, press on the pedal, none of it worked because I was out of gas. And what happens sometimes, guys, we get out of gas, we're not spending time with the Spirit, we're not spending time with Jesus, and we're out of gas, and we keep stomping on the pedal thinking somehow we're going to be like Fred Flintstone, go through the floor, and then we'll be able to drive our car that way. It doesn't work. Pay attention to your gauges, and your gauges are the things that we read about last week. First of all, as we went through chapter 12, we, we talked about the measure of self-awareness, knowing ourselves, knowing our gifts, and, and knowing our callings. Christian, you're not called to sit on the sideline in your life. You know, our motto, I've thought about, Lord, do you want me to change the motto? What do you want us to do in the future? And Bless God, bless others, be the blessing. That is an intensely biblical motto. It's an intensely biblical phrase. That's my life's um, motive, is to be the blessing. Folks, if you don't know what your gifts are, and you don't know what your callings are, how are you blessing those around you? God has called us to bless those around us. He's calling us to be the blessing, first of all, by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that is dying. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about the lighthouse, because I know that Christy is going to be giving these women and children the gospel of Jesus Christ, and is going to be encouraging to attend, and them to attend one of these five churches that I pray with their pastors, five solid gospel-preaching churches. This is an amazing opportunity that we have. Be the blessing. So we can be the blessing in a myriad of different ways. If God has blessed you financially and you think it's you, um, surprise, God has blessed you financially. He's given you the talents and the skills and the drive. Everything that you are is Him. And some of you, you give abundantly out of that because you recognize that some of you are still struggling in that area. I'm a self-made man. No, you're really not. Jesus said the poor will be always with us. I think he knew what he was talking about. So maybe you're somebody that, that you're poor and your whole drive in life is to be rich. Well, your whole drive in life is messed up. 
your whole drive in life should not be to, ri- be, be to be rich. Your whole drive in life should be to be the blessing. And if that means becoming rich so you can bless others, and that's what God has called you to do, go for it. If it means volunteering in our food pantry with Allie, go, go for it. Thank you, Lord. We need someone. Do we still need someone? We need someone to pick up the USDA food on Wednesday at 9.30. Got to have a truck. Oh, do you have somebody picking it up? We do? All right, so if you can help, see Patrick. But we need help. See Allie. Thank you. See Allie. We need help with that. You can be a blessing in that area. I see that you know, our food pantry is expanding its reach, uh, and we're going to need workers in that food pantry. People that can stock shelves, people that can be here on the nights where Allie can't be here to distribute the food. Folks, your calling, our calling is to be the blessing. So you got to know who you are. You got to know what your gifts are, what your talents are, right? So it's being self-aware, the measure of belonging. We talked about this last time I was up here. Being a faithful member of a local church contributing to her, her success and to her health. Are you that person? If you're not part of a local body of Christ blessing that body, your gas gauge is going all the way down. Your gauges are going haywire. There's people that think church is optional. Folks, church is not optional. It's God's plan A and there is no plan B. Church is not optional. It's not go if you like it. It's not go if you like the preacher. It's your body. It's your brothers. It's your sisters. And by the way, they need you as much as you need them. A lot of people come to church, oh, because it's, it's, it, I got to have my needs filled. I got to have my batteries recharged. Guys, that's a great reason-ish to come to church, right? I want you to be blessed when you come. But folks, it goes back to being the blessing. Do you realize that you're needed? Somebody needs you. We come to church and we have our blinders on. We don't look around. We're unaware of those that are around us that are struggling and hurting. When we could bless them. And and if we're not in that moment, if we're not part of that body actively blessing others, that's, that's a sign that you're in trouble. That's a sign that that you're not spending enough quality time with Jesus, the measure of using your gifts, governed by love. When you go to 1 Corinthians, and it's the chapter that everybody reads um, at weddings, right? The love chapter 13. The importance of that chapter, of course, is that this church, the people in this church were using their gifts, but they were using their gifts selfishly. And they weren't using them in love. When they gave, they gave with strings attached. They gave to manipulate. They didn't give with open hands. Uh, When they spoke in tongues, they spoke in tongues in arrogance. Oh, look at me. I can speak all these languages. You follow? They They weren't exercising their gifts in love. So are you exercising your gift in love. Are you exercising your gift in love? And then he said this, and this is the last part of last time I was up here, outdo one another in showing honor. I absolutely love that. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
You know, in marriages, by the way, I posted this on Facebook a while ago. If you learned how to minister to your spouse, you'd probably solve 75% of your problems. If you become others-centric and you become a minister to your wife or a minister to your husband and you care for them in that special way, that would probably solve most of your problems. Folks, we need to have that heart of ministry of outdoing one another and showing honor to one another. Unfortunately, there's churches where uh, their nurseries or their kids' ministries or their worship ministries are called war ministries because somebody gets credit and somebody gets to do the solo and somebody gets to play the instrument and somebody's up front and somebody's in behind and I wanted to be up front and I should be the one that picks the songs and I should be the one that does this and I should be the one that does that. And then the worship leader says, well, no, we're going to do it this way. And then they take their ball and they go home. Guys, that is not using your gifts well. That is not outdoing one another by showing honor. That is grabbing the honor for yourself. And when that's happening, what that shows you is that you're not spending enough time with Jesus because that's not a Jesus thing to do. He came to be a servant. Some of my favorite times at Emmanuel has been on work days when I've just been working alongside Rick. Some of my favorite times at Emmanuel is when I'm not in the pulpit and I'm just off to the side ministering to someone, talking to someone who needs, uh, who needs an ear to be heard, but also needs some encouragement and some counsel. Guys, it's not about receiving honor. It's about giving honor to others. So we go on. Now we go on to the next passage and he says, uh, he talks about the fact that we should have zeal in serving the Lord. And this is something that the Lord has been really laying on my heart, is that we need a zeal for God's house. We need a zeal for our church. We need a zeal for our worship. Do we come to church only when it's convenient? Guys, if you, don't, if you only come to church when it's easy, that dashboard is lighting up. I mean, it's lighting up. Don't be an Eric and run out of gas. Folks, pay attention to the gauges in your life. If church has become unimportant to you, and even beyond that, he doesn't just say make church, make the body important, make serving the Lord important. He's talking about do it with fervor. Do it with zeal. Do it with joy. If that's not typifying your service to Jesus, guys, the lights are going crazy on your dashboard. Because Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. That's who he was. He was zealous about the things of God. Where are you at this morning? This is how we can tell. Am I, am I walking on the way? Or have I taken a detour? Uh, have, I, have I turned my back on the influence that Jesus is trying to have on me? Right, so we, we look at these things and we ask ourselves that question. Have I fallen into the rut of mediocrity? You know, I've always hated this. I grew up kind of just doing church. I love my parents and we went to church every Sunday and I think we went every Sunday night, which annoyed me because the wide world of Disney was on on Sunday nights and we couldn't see it because we were in church. It just drive me crazy. But folks, we can, you can get into this rut of mediocrity where church is just something you do. It's just someplace you go. It's not something you are. It's something that you only do when it's easy. Or maybe you're just coasting in your ministry. This is so easy to do when you become proficient at what you're doing. 
And you know something? When you get good at what you're doing, you can just begin to put it on cruise control. And we should never be on cruise control when we're serving Jesus. We should do it with zeal. You know, the antidote for mediocrity is Jesus. Um, I think it was Jimmy Johnson. I heard Jimmy Johnson said this. He was a coach of the Cowboys. Later, he failed with the Dolphins. And um, he said something along the line, and, I, and I'm going back in my file here, so it may not be attributed to Jimmy, so let's just say an NFL coach. He said he didn't want any Christian. He'd rather not have a Christian NFL player on his team because he felt like Christians didn't have that commitment and that zeal. And folks, man, Jesus is the opposite of blah. He's the opposite of mediocrity. He's the opposite of just cruising in. He's the opposite of showing up late and leaving early. He's the opposite of all of those things. As a believer in Jesus, impacted by the presence of God, your employer should cry when they have to let you go or, or when you quit. Because you're that good. I remember when my wife was leaving um, the, the business that she was working for to come and, and be an administrator at our church several years ago, and Kirsten was, good golly, seven, I think, Trish? I think, was, that, was it after her thigh derotation surgery that you, I think it was, she was in the spike and all that. Um, my wife went to give her two-week notice to the, to the CEO of the company, and he actually cried and begged her to stay. And she said, I'm out of here. Folks, you ought to have zeal in your life. Moving on, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. This is what the Bible says that we're to do. How can we, how can we, re, how can we rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation? Well, we'd like to know that one right now. Well, first of all, if you're not rejoicing in hope and you're not patient in the tribulation that God has allowed to come your way, your dashboard's going nuts. Because you're a believer, and you have everything you need. The Apostle Peter said that pertains to godliness. You have everything at your disposal. You have everything you need to be patient in tribulation. You have everything you need to have joy in hope. In fact, the next passage he goes on, he has this to say, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. So if you want to have patience in tribulation and you want, to have, uh, you want to rejoice in hope when all seems dark, anybody would anybody like that? When the world is falling apart, would you like to have hope? Would you like to be able to sing a song? Uh, the Bible says we can. In fact, these Christians that, that Paul is talking to, they've experienced persecution. They, they have experienced loss of life, loss of family, loss of income. Some were driven out into the wilderness, later it says in Hebrews. Some were sawn asunder. You know what that means, sawn asunder? It's like the magician puts you in the box and cuts you in half, except it actually cuts you in half. And so he says, here it is, constant in prayer. We go back to the beginning, being with Jesus. That's what prayer is. Prayer is being with Jesus. Jesus, how often? Well, it says constant, constantly being with Jesus in prayer. And you're like, well, I don't get the one-way sign. Me neither. I'm not really sure why it's there. Shoot. 
No, I am. I am. I'm sure I there. I'll put it there. Um, because I wanted to correct our perception that sometimes we think prayer is just a one-way thing. Right? Prayer is just, I'm talking, and you better be listening, Santa God. Because I'm talking, and I'm important. And that's how we pray. Sometimes our prayers are nothing more than thoughts. And they're not really directed toward Jesus, toward God, toward the Holy Spirit. They're just thoughts that we're having. We're not actually considering the fact that we're speaking with the creator of the universe, the lover of our soul, the, the, the redeemer, right? Our, our, our savior. We just pray. We don't even give it a second thought. And it's all one way. There's no pausing to listen. There's no stopping to meditate. It's just blah, 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 blah. Have you ever been out to a social engagement with someone whose social skills were abysmal? You know what I mean by that? Maybe some of y'all get a lesson here. You go out with somebody, you sit down at dinner, and all they talk about is themselves. And not only that, when you try to get a word in edgewise, they pause for a breath. And then they start talking again. They never ask you about you. They never ask you what you want, what you desire. They never ask you what your ideas are or dreams are or goals are. And it's just blah, 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 blah. Sometimes I think that's what our prayer life is like. Oh, God, give me. Oh, God, give me. Oh, God, give me. Rub the genie. And God's like, I'm trying to talk to you if you just shut up for a minute. One of the greatest things about our RU ministry was the journal that, that Steve uh, Currington created. And in the journal, he talked about how you pray and then you pause. You pause and you listen because prayer is not one way. It's communication. And if you've been reading the word of God, that word is getting down into you and God will bring it back up to you. And God will speak to your heart. We had an issue in my home last night and and it was something that, i uh, just going to be honest with you, I'm on edge. My, my dashboard is probably has several lights that are flickering and, and um, something happened and, and I was angry and I was righteously angry. Anyone ever get that way? Right? Anger is a God-given emotion. I was righteously angry. But the problem with being righteously angry when your dashboard lights are flickering is it doesn't take long before righteous anger turns into wrath. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't with my kids. It was with somebody else's kids that if I could just give them a blessing, I would give them a blessing that would heap coals of granite, I mean fire, whatever, on their heads. And, and I was getting ramped up. And, and, uh, and, and my wife, who is God's gift to me, and also is my emotional compass. It's like, hey, uh, don't you think you might need to calm down just a little bit? You think you're helping the situation right now? Angel, have you ever heard that? Think you're helping the situation right now? You know when I said before people are lying in the seats? That's the king of the jungle right there. Think you're helping the situation? I think you're helping, Eric. I'm like, oh, Lord, did you really? It's that woman thou gavest me, Lord. <laughs> Except in this case, it was a gift. 
And I was able to bring it back around and, 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 and refill the tank and say, Lord, what would you have us do in this situation? And, and one of the most difficult things to do, we're going to actually learn about in the next couple of seconds, is bless those that persecute you. <laughs> I'm like, what is that doing in there? What is that doing in there? Bless those that persecute you. What even is that? Who thought of that thing? Oh, that was Jesus that thought that up in the Sermon on the Mount. The Apostle Paul was simply quoting his master, bless those that persecute you, do not curse them. And I'll tell you, most of us in the U.S. have never even seen real persecution, not on a biblical scale. It's more than name-calling or infringement of some of our favorite rights. It's far worse than that. And yet God says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitely use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now you already are, and so at the inference is here that you may be recognized as that you may be acting like you are. So here we are last night, and, and my, I, I'm, I'm, God has gifted me with a temper, and uh, uh, over the years, he has gifted me with control, and I was doing okay. I mean, I wasn't out of control, right? Yeah, I wasn't out of control. I wasn't yelling or screaming. It's that quiet voice. You know what I'm talking about? The one that you don't really want to hear somebody use. That quiet voice. And I was, I was getting up there, and she said a few words, and then I stopped, and I realized, okay, I'm a father. I need to lead by example. Let's pray about this. What does God say? What does God say? Bless those that curse you. Bless those that, that curse you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. We have a good Samaritan ministry in our church where we... We have a line in our budget, and we help people that need help. We've paid people's electricity. We've paid for groceries through the food pantry, and we've done a lot of different things over the years. And every now and then, you start to feel used. You know, you start to feel like somebody's being spiteful. And then it's in during those times that I say, if we're giving this to someone that really doesn't deserve it and they're just taking us for a ride and they've gone to 15 other churches and, and they've made $3,000 in one week by going to five churches or 10 churches or 15 churches and we've contributed to that larceny, so what? We'll be like Jesus. He got taken advantage of all the time. You know when he fed the 5,000, the 10,000, the 4,000, not all of them were believers. Not all of them came back to follow him, but he loved them anyways. He fed them anyways. When he was hanging on the cross, he's looking at the, down at the guys that were about to drive a spear into his side. He's looking down at the, 
at the Roman centurions that had nailed him to the cross. He's looking down at the, the Jewish nation that had, and one week had said, uh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, Hosanna to God in the highest. And the next week they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And he's hanging there on the cross and, he, and he's looking down at this crowd. And there's a song I think Bill Gaither wrote, he could have called 10,000 angels, right? And he's hanging on the cross. He could have called the hosts of heaven to annihilate the world. But instead he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you know, when he was on the cross, you say, oh, that's, a, that's sort of a, a, a broad brush thing. And he's on the cross, right? And, and one thief on one side is saying, ah, blah, 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 and cursing him and, and yelling at him, oh, if you're the son of God, get off of this cross and take us with you, right? And, and, and the other thief is saying, oh, oh, hey, listen, he hasn't done anything. This man is innocent. Have some respect. And then Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that story? Well, sometimes we miss that whole story because both thieves were mocking Jesus as they were hanging there in the beginning. Let me guys realize that. That second thief wasn't just hanging there being a good dude. Guys, they were hanging on the cross in their cases for some good reasons. They're hanging on the cross. They're railing at Jesus. And as the day progresses, the, the person of Christ is shining through as he hangs on that cross. There's a marked difference. It can't be dismissed. And finally, one of those thieves recognizes this is the Lord. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He forgave those who were his enemies. He loved those who hated him. He blessed those that cursed him. And that is our calling as well. In fact, Jesus said it himself in the Sermon on the Mount. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do more, do better, because you have Jesus. Folks, if, if, if you're finding that, that you're living a vindictive life, if you find that you're living a life where you're returning curses for curses, where your whole life, if your life's theme, if the theme of your life is nobody's going to get one over on me, your dashboard's going nuts. Your dashboard's going crazy. It's lighting up. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. We need to recognize the song that Angel led the church in worship. I am a child of God. The next measure of being people of the way is are you generous and are you hospitable? Do you care for others well? Do you contribute to the needs of the saints? Do you show hospitality to people of all social classes? Do you, are you united with your church family? There's so many people in our country today that are divided along political lines and they come into their churches and they stay that way. Folks, the, the, politics is one thing, but when you're a member of a family, you put them aside. 
there's members of my family that I am diametrically opposed to their political leanings, right? I loathe, I loathe their leanings. But you know what? I love them. I love them. And I'm not going to cut them out of my family because I loathe their leanings. I love them. When we come to church, you know what? We are united. We're not united in party, politics. We're not united by our social, economic class. There's people in this church that you're struggling along. You might have food stamps. You might have welfare. I don't even know if that's what it's called anymore. And others in our church who uh, you're, you're enjoying a six or seven figure a year income. And, and there's everything in between. But when we come to church, we are united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You got employees and employers doesn't matter. You're united in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are equal in the eyes of God. And some of you, he has called to certain levels of success and some of you, he has called to certain levels of poorness because he's looking to reach the world. Folks, we need to have generosity and hospitality and care for one another as well. And, and listen, that's not just about putting a, a check in the offering or, or going online and giving through our, our online giving platform. It's by loving one another and caring for one another well. It's inviting someone over your home. It's going over to somebody else's house. It's sharing your story. It's, it's giving a shoulder to cry on. We had a, a special impromptu prayer meeting on Wednesday. And, and as we were praying, uh, um, one of the folks there just came over. Uh, we were sitting next to each other. And, and she just put her arm around my shoulders. They know our story. They know most of the details of what's going on. And they just loved me. We need to love each other in our struggles, be hospitable, be generous of spirit, generous with our time. Folks, if you're not, what am I going to say? Trish, does that look familiar? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I just got the look. She wasn't even in here, I don't think, to hear the story. You better not tell her. <laughs> if those things are not typical in your life, this is what your life is looking like. You are about to seize your engine. Y'all need to pull over, you need to gas up, you need to put some oil in that engine. And that is only done through constant communication with Jesus. Spending time with Him. Not just praying like this, right? Not just praying like this. But actually listening to what he has to say. Hearing him. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. There are days when I'll pray, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Here's my known sin. This is what I have done. And I'll pray that. And then I'll stop and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to my heart things that I have done but I have forgotten. Or maybe sins in my life that I may not even be aware of. I haven't forgotten them. I'm just not aware of them. Has anybody ever done that? You've done something wrong and you're not even aware of it? And so then I'll pause. Show me, Lord. And I'll just wait silently for him to bring something to my mind. 
and then I'll confess that sin and I will believe John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then I thank Him and then you know, you say this, Lord, now I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk the way that you have me walk so that people can see you. You know, last night, the situation that happened in my home, um, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to show Jesus to some people. Not just the people that had hurt someone in my family, but other people who were watching it unfold. You guys can come down. Folks, being people of the way is a living representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, Emmanuel Hooks it where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.